Just look outside for a minute, and chances are, today, throughout the southeast, you're not going to see a drop of rain. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. Welcome into the Thursday Y'all Show, and with that sunshine blazing and temperatures, of course, getting up in the hot temperatures. Of course, nothing like what the western states have seen here recently, but most of the south in the 80s and 90s today. And it ought to be just right for you to kick back, relax, enjoy this y'all show. I'm John Rawl. I will be here in addition to filling you in on all the weather activity of the region. We'll tell you about the news headlines. We'll tell you about the sports information going on across the southeast. We've got a lot of fun and excitement on this Thursday y'all show. We have, in terms of sports, in addition to filling you in on the developing news for Richard Sherman, the NFL player, as he's in a little bit of hot water right now, we'll let you know about that. And another NFL star, he's not only in hot water, his wife's even in more hot water. He's got a couple of missing teeth. I'll let you know about that. And then in sports world news here today, we will tell you about the Big 12 Conference. They are already underway with their media days And on Wednesday in Arlington, Texas, a couple of the coaches of the Big 12 got together. We're going to hear in this first hour of today's Y'all Show audio from TCU head coach Gary Patterson, West Virginia's head coach Neil Brown, and Oklahoma's uber-talented young coach Lincoln Riley. Audio from all three as they were at day one of the Big 12 Media Days. We'll be sharing that here in this first hour. We'll keep the college football fun going As we'll be spotlighting today, our school is Southern Miss, the Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They are where we're dropping off today. We're going to be scooting in off of Interstate 59 and telling you all about the Southern Miss Golden Eagles as they're our latest stop on our 44-city tour of colleges across the southeast. And did you realize the Golden Eagles have a brand-new football coach for 2021, Will Hall. And we've got some audio of the Amory, Mississippi native now coaching in his home state, the USM Golden Eagles. To the top we go, right to the top, at least in terms of the football hierarchy, Will Hall, head coach of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. We'll hear some audio from him. We'll walk through USM's forthcoming schedule and tell you a lot more about this program right there at the Rock in Hattiesburg. That's here in the first hour. In hour three of today's Y'all Show, we'll be continuing our discussion on Southern Miss Golden Eagle sports. I'll let you know more about the university, what was once a normal college. I'll explain, and then we'll tell you about some of the other fun parts of Southern Miss's history, including famous alumni. Yes, they're known more for just Brett Favre and Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) He's a Southern Miss guy. We'll let you know about Cat Cora and other famous alums who call the University of Southern Mississippi, their alma mater. All that plus a look at Southern Miss's traditions from going to the rock to painting themselves in black and gold to tailgating and more outside the rock. It's all Southern Miss on today's Y'all Show College Tour Spotlight. Also in today's Y'all Show, we've got the latest Britney Spears news. It's part of our headlines We'll be also telling you about a country music singer who's had a hit song with Blake Shelton in years past, and she's got a tough health struggle. We'll let you know all about that in our entertainment report and hour number two, plus other news going on from Hollywood to Nashville, all that coming. 
Plus, in hour number two, we're going to take you to Dallas. There is a pop singer on the rise there named Shab, and we are going to be talking with this singer. Shab is a Texan right now, but at one point she was living in the Maryland area, and at one point, Shab, that's her singing there in the background, Spell on Me. Shab is actually a native of Tehran, Iran, and she has found herself in this country. And she's got this pop career going. And now she's in Texas, and we'll discuss all kind of things with her, including can you actually even hear Shab music in her native country? Got a nice beat, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Shab. Again, that interview is coming up in hour number two. You don't want to miss that. Our first pop singer interview here on the y'all show for 2021 how about that yeah we've had our share of country and christian even had a bluegrass singer in here but yeah we have not had a pop singer so all y'all pop singers of the world including ones who are natives of iran who now call texas home we will take you right here on the y'all show and take you gladly gladly enjoy that conversation and it's coming up in hour number two And also before today's Y'all Show is up, we'll tell you in Hour 3 about some of the great festivals and events going on in Dixie this weekend. Hope y'all are doing good. 803-816-1170 is how you can text us anytime you feel like it. Our number is available 24-7 to call or text. Simple, simple, simple. 803-816-1170. Got to hear from you. Got to serve you here. That's part of our job on the Y'all Show is to tell you what's going on, but also to make sure that you're informed and educated. And also, if you don't like it, you can you can just let us know. And if you miss out on any portion of our show, please don't forget we have a podcast option. And we have a lot of people. I mean, uh, it's growing every day. Hundreds, thousands of people each week listening to the Y'all Show via podcast. You can get it at y'all.com. Just go there and search for the Y'all Show. It's the big red and white box at the top of the homepage of the South, y'all.com. But if you miss it at y'all.com, you can go into the iHeart Podcast, the iHeart Radio Podcast option. Tune in has us right there. Just search for Y'all Show. We're also available on the Stitcher app, and we are available on Apple Podcast. No excuse is the reason that you have to not find us. We're there. We're free. And we're darn good. Check out y'all talk with a southern accent in podcast form. Looking at headlines from across the southeast. So coronavirus, of course, naturally, has been the big-time health story over the last year and a half, with over 600,000 deaths, by the way. But one thing that is sadly an epidemic of not only the coronavirus, but it's just frankly the sad state of affairs that we find ourselves in as a society in today's world, going back before COVID-19 hit us. But this is a stunning number. I really thought this number would be down with COVID being such a big part of the news headlines of 2020. Overdose deaths have now soared to a record number in 2020. 93,000 Americans died as a result 
of drug overdoses. And all that happened in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. As government estimates and numbers coming out this week, the estimate far eclipses the previous high of about 72,000. So over 21,000 Americans extra died in 2020 from drug overdoses. Just a horrible, senseless form of death. We have a tremendous problem in this country. We know we do. We have so many people hooked on drugs, hooked on prescription drugs, hooked on illegal drugs, hooked on painkillers, and it's just cost way too many lives. And surely, sadly, there's probably someone you know, maybe someone extremely close to you, who's a number in this category, perhaps maybe from a previous year, but 93,000 Americans are gone because of drug overdoses. That was one thing, whether you hated him or you loved him. One of the things that President Trump, in his efforts to get elected in 2016, and then some of what his bravado was on building the border wall, was to stop illegal drugs from coming into this country. Now, I know not every single illegal drug comes across the Rio Grande, but a lot of them do. And so having a border wall was one way to stop this number from getting to 93,000. And in 2020, President Trump was the president. So you could say that under his watch, the cases rose by 20,000 deaths in 2020 alone from the 2019 numbers that the government is releasing. But a lot of those drugs are brought over by mules from Mexico, coming from Central American countries. And that's one thing that I think the the previous administration could have done a better job with messaging on the wall, at least, in my opinion. It, yeah, the wall might have cost a couple of billion dollars in the end to get built. But all they had to do was trot out a couple of family members, parents, etc., of people who died of drug overdoses. And, and, yeah, make a political scene out of it. it doesn't that happen with everything? But how could you vote against the wall or be against the wall when maybe that wall could have helped save this family from going through the heartache of losing a loved one because of a drug overdose that that drug would not have got into this country had there been better barriers to prevent it? Now, I know that people on drugs are likely going to find some way to get their fix, whether it's from a drug coming from South America or Central America or Mexico or it's something else they do totally, purely from this continent. It's just anything we can do to save lives. Fentanyl, by the way, was involved in more than 60% of the overdose deaths, according to the CDC data that's just come out. Fentanyl. Overdose deaths are just one facet of what was overall the deadliest year in American history. Did y'all know that? With last year in 2020, 378,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19. And when you factor that number in with all the other deaths of 2020, we lost in 2020 3.3 million Americans. A combined death total coming from COVID, heart attacks, suicide, 
drug overdoses, and more. 3.3 million Americans losing their life. In 2020, uh, unfortunate, unfortunate, and uh, I'm just bearing the news here, the, the bearer of bad news, frankly. Moving on to other headlines, to Tallahassee, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida calling on Florida companies to provide Internet to Cuba after the Cuban government has shut down the Internet in that country. The governor of Florida saying that he would reach out to some of the Internet providers based in the Sunshine State to see what are the options. But right now, can you believe the Cuban government would do what they're doing? They are shutting the Internet down, locking people up, threatening, I think, in some cases to maybe execute people. Now, the president of the island country, Miguel Canal, has blamed the United States for the turmoil and called for his supporters to take to the streets to fight back against the protest. As he said, we are prepared to do anything. We will be battling in the streets. Tough guy. Tough guy. The unrest in Cuba has now come into this country as well with protesters in support of Cuban independence going on in not only Miami, but we saw in the Tampa area on Wednesday. There were definitely protesters in support of Cuban independence. And a lot of these people are calling on Joe Biden to help out. In fact, protesters this week heard chanting, where is Biden? Where is Biden? He's out saying that we're about to have a civil war because some of the voting changes and voting laws are actually expanding the opportunity to vote. But no, he wants to create a racial civil war, it looks like. And right now, with an opportunity, I know we don't have to necessarily become the rescue blanket for Cuba here, this country. But this is a country just 90-something miles away from our border that has been a, been a pain in the tuchus since 1960. And 1962 with the Cuban Missile Crisis, for sure. And it looks like with this whole social media age we live in, some of that has ultimately got down to the island nation. And a lot of these Cubans are looking for independence. They're looking for freedom. And I don't think we should be going to war to try to help Cuba out. We've had actually plenty of opportunities to go to war with Cuba throughout the years. But we don't need to do that. But what we do need to do is get more aggressive. And I did see an interview uh, it was Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday on Fox, Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida with Cuban ancestors, of course, his parents, I think, both from that nation. He was pretty forthcoming. He, he wasn't holding back. And as I said, you might have missed it on our show from Wednesday, I think Rubio and his fellow Cuban-Americans in politics need to get on a plane and, and go to the embassy in Cuba and do what they can to kind of keep this thing going. This could be another fall of the Berlin Wall if we we all as a world play it right. Now, what Rubio was hinting, if you missed that interview, and I'm sure he knows what he's talking about, both from his experience as being a United States senator from Florida, but also just being a guy who knows a lot about Cuba. That's his ancestors. That's his homeland, if you will. And he was saying on national television that he thinks if, if it continues to be unrest in the island nation, do you know who's going to come knocking? It will either be China or Russia or both. 
bringing in troops to kind of calm down and maybe set the people out wanting freedom, set them straight, maybe maybe even put them away for good, perhaps killing them was the feeling I got. It's a big mess going on in Cuba, and right now a lot of our political people are starting to catch on, but some of the protesters are wanting to know, where's Biden? Keeping it in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is now selling Don't Fauci My Florida merchandise as the state reports some of the highest number of COVID cases going up with a Delta variant. But yeah, there's now T-shirts. You can pick one up. Don't Fauci My Florida as the governor selling campaign merchandise that's mocking the COVID-19 expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Could be a bad look for him if... Indeed, Florida gets hit like some of our states, including Tennessee and Arkansas, are being hit with this Delta strain of the COVID-19. DeSantis campaign, DeSantis campaign rolling out T-shirts and koozies that have this message of don't Fauci my Florida. And it's a stunt, perhaps to raise some money, but to also rub it in Fauci's face. You can get your T-shirt, your hat, your koozie. You can even get a big old flag that kind of looks like one of your Make America Great Again flags, except this one says, Governor DeSantis. I'm trying to read with that kind of small print. I apologize. My eyes are failing me. Okay, it's Keep Florida Free is what that one says. Instead of Make America Great Again, Keep Florida Free. And they want people to join their fight to keep Florida free by going to his website. But again, as I said, Florida right now, just like a lot of our states, needs to control this Delta variant or it, it could get out of control really quick in the Sunshine State. To Tennessee, did you hear about the vaccine official in charge of the volunteer state? Well, she's been let go, but prior to being let go, she got something in the mail. Dr. Michelle Fiscus says someone mailed her a dog muzzle a couple of days before she ended up getting fired as the volunteer state's top vaccine official. And now she's telling the media that this thing was sent to her. She says she was fired for sharing factual information with doctors about vaccinating minors. And this head of the vaccine effort of Tennessee, which right now Tennessee and one county in particular, Tipton County, where Covington, Tennessee, above Memphis, is located. It's the number one spot in the country for this Delta variant. They've got more COVID cases going on in that area of West Tennessee. And this doctor, the former head of the vaccine effort in Tennessee, now saying, I said that they obviously don't know me because they sent me a size three, which is for beagles, and I'm obviously a pit bull. So she's having a little bit of fun with the fact that someone mailed her a muzzle for a dog, essentially, I guess, telling her to keep quiet. But Dr. Michelle Fiscus now out as Tennessee's top vaccine official. And I don't know. I mean, she's here laughing about it this week, about this thing sent to her anonymously. Is that a is that something illegal? Is it illegal to send a, a muzzle in the mail? You know, we we were picking on the Postal Service on our Wednesday show that a lot of times they're a little bit slow in making deliveries, but they sure weren't slow getting this muzzle 
to Nashville and to Dr. Fisk there, who's leading that vaccine effort in the state of Tennessee. We wish her well. Not exactly sure all the reasons that she was let go, but she's out and muzzles and coronavirus in the news coming from the volunteer state here this week. Some information out of Louisiana. Former Governor Edwin Edwards, who died this week at the age of 93. Governor Edwards' body will lie in honor at the state capitol in Baton Rouge on Saturday. A spokesperson for the Speaker of Louisiana's House tells family members that the family members and close friends will pay their respects to Governor Edwards as he will lie in repose at the old state capitol in Baton Rouge on Sunday but he will be there over the weekend. While funeral arrangements have not yet been set, the governor will lie in honor in Memorial Hall at the state capitol Saturday for public viewing. So the public can see the governor, his body there in Baton Rouge on Saturday at Memor- inside Memorial Hall at the state capitol. Then on Sunday, it looks like at the old state capitol, only family members and close friends will be able to pay their respects as this longtime governor, the second longest-serving governor in Louisiana's history, died this week at the age of 93. And quite a Louisiana story, Governor Edwards, a four-term governor dying this week. And, of course, there's multiple wives. There's the fact that he was a Democrat in a world now dominated by Republicans, primarily in Louisiana. Although they have a Democrat and a Democrat with the last name of Edwards, currently serving as the Pelican State's chief executive. But the fact that he also went to prison at one point and uh, his wife today is some 50 years younger than him. Uh, He died, though, quite a story, Edwin Edwards. And if you are a big fan of the late governor, you can go pay your respects this weekend at the state capitol in Baton Rouge. Now back to some vaccination talk. The Alabama governor, Kay Ivey, says there's no need in Alabama for incentives to vaccinate. As she's emphasizing that there's no need to do this, as other states have done, including West Virginia, even though Alabama has dropped to the bottom in percentage of the population vaccinated. As she was in Birmingham on Wednesday, Governor Ivey said, get more people to take the shots. They're free. They're safe. They work. The data proves they work. Use your head and get a shot. That needs to be on a billboard right there. Alabama. (laughs) Use your head and get a shot. Use your noggin. As Governor Ivey spoke on Wednesday to the Birmingham Rotary Club, she actually was, I think, one of the first speakers as they have started in-person meetings there of the Rotary Club again. And in addition to talking about getting your vaccinations by using your brain, Governor Ivey also touted the state's economic rebound after the COVID-19 shutdown and the Heart of Dixie's low unemployment rate of 3.4%. So, yes, Alabama's looking up, but right now Governor Ivey's just trying to tell people to get vaccinated, but she's not saying you need to get out there and be rewarded for your efforts like these other states are doing. West Virginia, I'm looking at you. If you haven't heard, West Virginia is having lottery drawings for people to get their vaccinations, and you could win like a million dollars a week All you Alabama people, you're getting ripped off. You need to pack up and move to to, to places like West Virginia, perhaps, to reward yourself and get 
the kind of money that you might deserve by being vaccinated. We've got more headlines from across the Southeast that we will be getting to on today's Y'all Show. So hang on for that. But when we come back, did you realize that we already have a Media Days underway? It's going on right now in Dallas-Fort Worth as Arlington, Texas, Jerry World, home of the Dallas Cowboys, this week is hosting the Big 12 Media Days. And when we come back after the break, we're going to go to Arlington, where on Wednesday a couple of the Big 12 coaches were up at the mic, and we'll hear from the head coaches of TCU, West Virginia, and the Oklahoma Sooners. Later this hour, we're going to have a college football spotlight on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles as we're on tour across the South, and USM is today's school. All that ahead on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. It's y'all talk with a southern accent and the TCU Horn Frogs. They were at the mic on Wednesday in Arlington, Texas, as the Big 12 Media Days kicked off. SEC, ACC getting together next week. But how about the Big 12 jumping out there before everybody else and having the opportunity for coaches, a couple of players, and the media pundits all coming out to talk about football for 2021. It's here, y'all. When there's media days, football's here. And we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the Big 12 Conference. This is Talk with a Southern Accent. I'm John Rawl. And get your purple on, and let's talk about the TCU Horned Frogs. We're going to hear from Gary Patterson, the longtime coach of the Froggies, in a second. We'll also hear from the head coach, some audio coming in from Neil Brown, coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Also on Wednesday, Lincoln Riley at the podium in Arlington talking about college football playoffs expansion. You'll get his thoughts in a second. But first, let's talk about TCU. Gary Patterson has been a heck of a coach. Here's a guy who came aboard as TCU's head coach way back in 2000. He's now been 21 years on the job, and he has coached the Froggies to one heck of a record. 178 wins compared to 74 losses. He's won a CUSA championship back in 2002, He won a Big 12 championship back in 2014, won all kind of awards. In 2020, his Horned Frogs went 6-4, 5-4 in conference play, and they have really, really done well. Now, they haven't done quite as well in the Big 12 as they did back when they were members of the Mountain West Conference. Remember when they won a Rose Bowl? Yeah, that was one heck of a victory for this program. But they have done – Quite quite well in college football throughout their history, the TCU Horn Frogs and Gary Patterson and his program getting ready for the start of a new year. How about this? I thought this was a misprint when I saw who their first opponent was to start the 2021 season. They're going to be playing the Dukes on September 4th there at Amon Carter Stadium in Fort Worth. And it's not the Dukes out of the CAA. It's not James Masson. 
They're playing the Duquesne Dukes as their season opener. And did you realize that Duquesne, which I think is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you, you probably see their name going on during college basketball time, but they have evidently moved up to FCS football, and now the Duquesne Dukes are going to play TCU to start their new era of football. Then they're going to play the following week at the Ohio Bobcats. So quite a jump for Duquesne, historic school again in Pittsburgh, now playing big boy football. Not big, big boy football. I think they're FCS still. But how about that Duquesne and TCU, the opener on September 4th there for the Horn Frogs. The Horn Frogs have a pretty big opponent the following week as the Cal Bears come into the Metroplex for a game. Then they've got their skillet game with SMU September 25th. Then Big 12 play begins against the Texas Longhorns on their home field on October 2nd. In fact, TCU's one, two, three, four, all of their four games to start the season are at home. They don't hit the road until they go to Lubbock to take on the Red Raiders on October 9th. So a pretty good schedule, it looks like, setting up for Gary Patterson and the TCU Horned Frogs for 2021. He's got a good quarterback. He's going to be bringing him into this season with some experience. And I think that Gary Patterson has a great opportunity with Max Duggan behind quarterback or behind center for his team. He's going to talk about Duggan. He's going to talk about some other things here in this clip. Again, this is from Wednesday, Big 12 Media Days, taking place at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. Here is TCU's coach Gary Patterson talking about not only his quarterback, but he's the first person that I know of anywhere, at least in terms of a head football coach, to talk about this brand-new legislation going on in sports, the NIL. And since the Big 12's first at the mic this week, it's Gary Patterson talking about it. So we're going to go now and hear the coach talking about this name, image, likeness mess, frankly. Uh, you've heard me probably talk about it more than you want to here in the last couple of days. But he talks about that and, again, his quarterback. Here's TCU head coach Gary Patterson. You have to have solutions. I always say that the difference between a good, good coach and a great coach is a coach that can fix things quickly. And so that's something that really before we get to uh, signing date uh, here in December, we need to make sure uh, with the NCA and as a uh, governing body, the AFCA being the president last year, we've got to get fixed. We've got to get it to where we could, that marries up a little bit better than what it does right now. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit different, a little bit on the, on the uh, NIL. For simple, I, I think it, it uh, even the playing field. I think it gave everybody an opportunity to, uh, and every kid an opportunity to get. I think our jobs are going to be as coaches, even though universities stay out of it, is not the, the really good players are going to have their own deals. People are going to find them. I think my job, you know, we have a saying at TCU 40 not 4. It's not about how we grow them up for the four years, but it's what we're going to do for them for 22 to 62. And I think we probably be in there 20, I've been there at TCU 24 years. I think we can probably talk about that as well as anybody can in the country about that. And I think it's really important for us to understand how do we help any of them. Now, I'll give you a great example. I think it might have helped TCU last year, our Darius Washington. He went out early in the draft as a safety. 
uh, you know, wasn't he didn't have all the measurables. Probably if he could have had some some endorsement deals where he could have made, made some money uh, that he could have given to his family, he might have stayed another year and been playing at TCU right now. I think there's going to be some positive things that came out of uh, doing all this. And, you know, but like anything, uh, abuse leads to restriction. The things you talked about, tampering, uh, using leverage as far as the amount of money that you'd have to go to one school or the other. If any of us believe that that's not, that, that might not be a possibility, I think is crazy. That's why if you look in the NFL model, you know, you can't talk to other teams. You can't do those kind of things. There's severe penalties. And so there's going to have to be some things in place that are going to have to be uh, played. It's probably why they always like me talking first because I always get the 800-pound gorilla questions out of the way, so you guys can uh, you can go about so everybody else knows how to answer them when we get done. But you know, I think all of that stuff's going to play. But it still comes down to like you you saw in the article, ESPN article that I said, and I think Max Duggan will tell you if you interview him, it's he knows it's a big year for him. If he has a great year, all those other things take care of themselves. All right, that was the head frog, Gary Patterson, talking on Wednesday at the Big 12 Media Days in Arlington, Texas. It's TCU and Duquesne, their opener there in Fort Worth in early September. Also at the mic at TC at the Big 12 Media Days following TCU coach Patterson, Neil Brown, the Danville, Kentucky native, a former Kentucky Wildcat receiver when Hal Mummy was there in the bluegrass, and then Actually, he transferred out Neil Brown to UMass Amherst, where he played for, I think, one season before getting into coaching. Now, he did a great job when he was the coach of Troy as the Trojans went on to win a couple of Dollar General Bowls, had a couple of seasons where they won at least 10 games. He got hired at WVU back in 2019, and let's just be honest, his programs have been ho-hum. He went and had a 5-7 and seven season in 2019. The coronavirus 2020 season saw the Nears with a 6-4 and four record. They did go to the Liberty Bowl, and they were able to beat Army in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. So West Virginia's got some momentum heading into this new season with Neil Brown, the head coach of the Nears. Let's go in and hear a portion of what Coach Brown talked about at Big 12 Media Days on Wednesday. I like our team. I'll say that at the, at the front. Uh, I really like our team. Um, I think our leadership is better than at any point that since, since I was named the head coach in January of 19. The, uh, starting on defense, I thought we had one of the best defensive units in the Big 12 Conference last year and nationally, and our statistics back that up. And really that's going to be the, the unit with the most experience. That's going to be the unit that that will lead us again. I think it starts up front on our defensive line. Talked about Dante, who was one of our most improved players in the spring. And then also Akeem Mesador, who was freshman All-American last year. I think we've moved him inside. I think he's got a, a really an opportunity to be a special player in our league. At linebacker, Josh Chandler is going to step into the role that Tony Fields did such a great job with last year at the Mike linebacker position. We've got some moving pieces of that position. I think fall camp is, is really going to determine how we, how we go into the season feeling about that, the linebacker position. And in the secondary, we return um, both starting safeties, Sean Mahone, Alonzo Adai, that have played a lot of football in this league and played it at an elite level. Nick Troy Fortune returns at corner. So a lot of uh, returning players in the secondary um, 
and we had the I think I think we ended the season's number one pass defense in our in our in, in the country last year. Offensively, we made growth. Uh, we struggled, didn't play very well the last two games of the season offensively. I think that skewed the stats. Um, but for the first time, we have experience on that side of the ball, especially up front. And for us to make a step in our league, and we went from kind of the bottom of 19 toward the middle of the 20, in 20, for us to make the next step to the top tier is we've got we've to be more productive on that side of the ball. Starts at quarterback, Jared Dagey returns. Um, thought he played really well during the middle part of the season last year. He probably had the best spring of anybody on the offensive side of the ball. At running back, Letty Brown, we've talked about him. Um, he, I think he's special. Uh, his, his video showed that last year. We've got to develop some depth at his position. And then receiver's going to be a uh, – we've got guys that have played football now for two years. And we've got talent in that room. They had a really good spring. They've got to make the next step. And I think how they play is going to determine the, the success of our offense. All right, that was Neil Brown, head coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers at Big 12 Media Days on Wednesday. The Mountaineers opened their season on the road. How about this matchup? They're taking on the Big Ten's Maryland Terrapins in College Park to open up their season. They'll have their home opener at Mountaineer Field against another newcomer to the FCS ranks. How about Long Island University comes into Mountaineer Field in Morganton, and that's going to be a game against the Sharks on September 11th. West Virginia football 2021, Neil Brown looking forward to his third full season coaching the Nears in the Big 12 Conference. Also at Media Days on Wednesday, you had the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Lincoln Riley, at the mic. We're going to go now and hear this very talented head coach at Oklahoma, a guy who had an opportunity to move on in the offseason but decided to stick around Norman and coach the Sooners to success. This is a program still looking for its first college football playoff win. And with the playoff in mind, someone there decided to ask him about this new proposed expansion of the college football playoff, and the Sooners coach had something to say about it. I think the expansion uh, that's been proposed is a is a great start, you know, and I commend the committee that put it together because you got to put yourself out there. I mean, you got to you got to start somewhere, and uh, I think their proposal was really good in a lot of ways. I think it addressed you know maintaining the bowls, which are so important to the history of our game that I, you know hope we never turn our back on. Uh, I think it addressed getting the conference champions in the playoff, which is needed to happen. Uh, I think it addressed a, a pathway for a group of five member to, to be able to get into the playoffs, which honestly hasn't been realistic under the current system. So in my mind, all of those are great things. I still think there's work to be done, questions to be answered. Uh, I know the obvious ones are you know, how many games you want to play in a season. Uh, you know, it's certainly one. Is, is 12 too many? You know, it's, I, certainly some of those things are up for debate, but I think in large part it was a great proposal, something we can all work off of and, and to, to make the system better. Uh, Lincoln, you started 0-2 last year and still won the league. Uh, what statement do you feel like that made for Oklahoma as a program? And do you want your players to think that y'all just own this conference? We could go a lot of ways with that one. Um, I don't know about the statement. I mean, I each year is its own year, and I know you know we all want to write and talk about you know, you know streaks or, or winning this many, and that's all great. But I think 
you know, for that team, it was an opportunity with with so many things not going our way, some within our control, some not within our control of who we were going to, you know, who we were going to be. Uh, I do think it shows the, the championship DNA of this program that I felt like our team was not going to accept, uh, you know, mediocrity. And uh, so I, I very much appreciate about that team. Um, we have a lot of respect for this league. We have a lot of respect for what it takes to win this league. And it's not, I think a lot of times on the outside, it's people just think it's a given. And it's anybody that thinks that doesn't know college football. You know, they, they, they haven't been inside the ropes. They don't understand it. It, it is, it, it takes so much and it's so hard. And there's, everybody's a good coach and everybody has good players. And uh, each year is so different. Each game is so different. So, um you know, we're, we're excited about some of the success that we've had, but we know that's not going to make a whole lot of difference in this coming year. we gotta, we got to go do it again. And that was Lincoln Riley at Wednesday's Big 12 Media Days in Arlington, Texas. The Oklahoma Sooners begin the 2021 season on the road. They'll be at Yulman Stadium in New Orleans taking on the Tulane Green Wave for their 2021 opener. And Oklahoma, again, as he said there, a – dynasty in the Big 12. The most recent winners, I think they won about 100 in a row in the Big 12. When we come back, we've got college football to talk about coming from Hattiesburg. It's all about the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. They're up next. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. Here at the Y'all Show, we love our college football, and we love to take y'all, frankly, to the top of college football, and Southern Miss is always taking you to the top. That's the fight song for the Golden Eagles, playing there in the background. Hey, won't you uh, sit back and enjoy this for a second? The Southern Miss Golden Eagles out of the Conference USA. Hattiesburg, Mississippi is the home of USM. They play at M.M. Roberts Stadium. That's got a capacity right around 36,000. Program that started back in 1912. And if you make it to The Rock, as M.M. Roberts Stadium is affectionately known, you can see a program that's got a proud history with players through the years who've gone on to NFL greatness whether it's Ray Guy or Brett Favre or other players currently on NFL rosters. Southern Miss to the top. We're going to give you a little bit of information of the 2021 Golden Eagle football team here. On our college spotlight, we're on a 44-city tour, and today we're in Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg, of course, located in not southern Mississippi, but they actually call it South Mississippi. I don't know why they came up with the name University of Southern Mississippi when they came up with the name of the place. But it is the name of the place. It's USM. And 
here today on the Y'all Show. Let me tell you about Golden Eagle football. They have really struggled, frankly. In fact, last year was another train wreck for Golden Eagle fans, and I feel sorry for you. Southern Miss, in my opinion, has been screwed more than any other school in all of college football. They have been left in the conference dust. This is a program back in the 90s, 2000s, that that you usually found them in the top 20 back when Jeff Bauer was coaching them. They had great seasons, defeated teams like Alabama. They went on and had tremendous success with Bauer. Then Larry Fedora comes in. Remember the year that they went and won their conference championship by beating Houston, a team in Houston that had never – actually had not lost a game in Kevin Sumlin's final year there with the Cougars. And USM goes into Houston and beats them at their home stadium to win the conference championship back that year. And uh, Southern Miss has fallen off a cliff since that time. In fact, it started with Ellis Johnson, a guy that I know, came over for his one and only year of being a head coach at the FBS level as he went 0-12. And then Todd Munkin comes in. Things didn't go too well there. Jay Hobson comes in, and he's ho-hum. But in 2020, this former Alcorn State coach at Southern Miss literally abandoned ship right in the middle of the season, right at the beginning of the season. And Southern Miss ended up having, I think, two different interim coaches in 2020. Just been a been a train wreck for the school in Hattiesburg. They've had horrible conference affiliations They've been in CUSA since 96. And the reason I'm picking on the conference stuff is because, really, Southern Miss fancies themselves as a Memphis, as a Louisville. Those are their longtime peer institutions. Those are schools that used to be with them in the Metro Conference in basketball. And Louisville wins the award of all three of those. Louisville's now in a Power Five conference as they're in the ACC. The Memphis Tigers have it been elevated to the AAC, which is not a Power Five, but it's pretty close. And then you got Southern Miss playing in Conference USA against teams who weren't even playing football 10, 15, 20 years ago. UTSA. And you got other teams in there like, I guess, Florida International, Florida Atlantic teams that weren't playing back when Southern Miss was winning championships in the 1950s. In fact, this is a program that claims two national championships, both at the Division II level, 1958-1962. So Golden Eagle fans want to have a return to greatness and perhaps, just perhaps, a Mississippi native is going to help lead them to greatness again. As Will Hall is the new coach of the Golden Eagles, he's a young guy. He's only 41 years old. He grew up in Amory. He was an Amory Panther quarterback before moving on to Northwest Mississippi Community College in Senatobia, where he quarterbacked the Rangers there, then went to UNA, where he quarterbacked the Lions back in the 2002-2003 seasons. Then he got into coaching first at Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina, as a quarterback coach. He's been in the assistant ranks a long time. He ended up being the offensive coordinator at Tulane for the last couple of years before being picked earlier this year to be Southern Miss's head football coach, Will Hall. We're going to hear from Will Hall in just a second. If you want to hear from Will Hall in the flesh, in person, in fact, get to Jackson, (laughs) Jackson, Mississippi, because today, if you make it in time, 
the coach of the Golden Eagles has his very first appearance as he's on a tour of the Mid-South, his introductory tour going on, and it starts today at the Country Club of Jackson, 5.30 Jackson, Mississippi time. You can see the coach of the Golden Eagles. He'll be in Long Beach, Mississippi on July 19th, Baton Rouge on July 21st. How about Will Hall in Huntsville, Alabama? He's going to be speaking there on July 28th. Houston, Texas, August 3rd. Hattiesburg, boy, he had to go a long way for this one. August 14th, he wraps up his speaking tour right there at the home of Southern Miss. Will Hall, coach of the Golden Eagles. Southern Miss this year, they start their season on the road at South Alabama on September 4th. They've got Grambling State coming over for a game on September 11th. The Troy Trojans are the opponent on September 18th. And then a big money game, a team they've gone in and won. Going back to the 1950s, they beat this team. The Alabama Crimson Tide and the Southern Miss Golden Eagles getting together at Bryant-Denny on September 25th. So that's just some of the early opponents that Will Hall and his Golden Eagle team will be facing off against here in the 2021 season. Now, let's hear some audio from the new coach, Will Hall, talking about his Golden Eagle football team and how he's got the opportunity to now lead this team as it gets ready for his first full season as a head coach. And he's on the J-Boy Show on YouTube doing an interview here the last couple of days. Here is the coach of Southern Miss to the top. Yeah, the biggest surprise for us, and I think, you know, our staff, we, we talk about this all the time, and I guess we finally kind of quit talking about it because it just is what it is, but was the buy-in from these kids. You know, usually yeah. when you come into a program, this is my third time to take over a program. Uh, usually you have, a you know, an adjustment period where there's some kids that just don't make it, and there's some that buy in and some that don't, and you, there's a transition time there that's, that's not a lot of fun for the staff and not a lot of fun for the kids. We did not go through that here. And uh, it's just a blessing to say, but these kids bought in right away uh, to how we're doing things. Um, I think they really liked uh, the, the nutritional plan we brought in, the uh, workout plan. We're a very organized, structured program that hates to waste time. That's my biggest pet peeve is wasting time. So, uh, you know, we're going to be on time. We're going to be quick to it. Uh, we're going to be blowing and going. There's no standing around. And uh, they really bought into it quick. And uh, because of that, we were able to kind of speed up the process with implementing, you know, our schemes and all that because culture-wise it happened fast. Credit to the previous staff that was here. These kids will yeah. work, you know, and that's a credit to the previous staff. But, Jake, you know that's a credit to this area, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mississippi, lower Alabama, southeast Louisiana, Panhandle, Florida, those kids love football. Those kids want to work. They want to play. And uh, that's one reason, another reason why I was so drawn to this job because I know what it's like to be from here and grow up in -hmm. these environments and these small towns that surround us all around. And uh, these these kids will work, man. So, you know, I know it sounds like I'm being overly positive and it's like we're all holding hands singing Kumbaya. That's really not (laughs) – that's really not what it's been. It's been a lot of hard work. It has yeah. been some transition, but the buy-in has been there. And because of that, I do think we're going to be able to get Southern Miss back uh, contending for championships quicker than, than what you know some people might think. And that, again, the head coach of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, Will Hall, he mentioned there in that clip that he had actually taken over at two programs. Those were both on the Division II level. How about this? He coached West Alabama and West Georgia. 
some 10 years ago, and now he gets a chance to be on the FBS side of things, coaching the Southern Miss. He likes those directional schools. The Southern Miss Golden Eagles is Will Hall's latest gig. Again, a native of Monroe County in northeast Mississippi is Will Hall, and he's got a chance to lead a team right there in his home state of the great state of Mississippi. Again, Southern Miss opening the season on the road at South Alabama's lovely, lovely stadium, Hancock-Whitney Stadium, there on the USA campus. September 4th is that matchup of these two programs, which are kind of neighbors, even have a similar name with South, both in their first portion of their names. We're going to tell you a whole lot more about Southern Miss as a university in our number three of today's Y'all Show. We'll focus on the traditions of Southern Miss, and we'll also let you know about some of the famous alumni of Southern Miss Golden Eagle fandom. All that coming up on Y'all Talk with a Southern accent. We got one little teeny tiny segment left here in this hour. We'll get to it right after the break. You don't want to miss it here on Talk with a Southern accent. And you also don't want to forget that you can reach us here any old time at 803 816 1170. That is the way to get in touch with the show that's all about the South. Again, Southern Miss is our spotlight today. They are where we are visiting here on our 44 City Tour. We'll be back with more of the Y'all Show. Back into the Y'all Show. Going to wrap up this first hour with a quickie. It's hashtag hullabaloo. This is where we go on social media and just find some of the good Southern fun out there. And this comes to us courtesy of Instagram. And I am not a French American, so I may butcher my French here. I'm more of a, a Deutsch speaker, if you will. But here on Instagram this week, we've got a Instagram post coming in from Cagnus Gourmand in Halt de Cagnus, whatever that is, House de Cagnus. Is that right? All you French speakers, your your francophones out there. Cagnus Gourmand has a nice picture out on social media this week, and it caught my eye, and that's why we're sharing it here as we wrap up this first hour of Talk About the South and the South of France, it looks like, as well. Cagnus Gourmand puts out on social media this week, bringing a little bit of Southern America to France on 14 Juliet. I guess is that the term in French for the day or the month of July? Juliet? (laughs) J-U-I-L-L-E-T? Again, I didn't take French, so forgive me. I have a hard enough time here with the English language. But yeah, it looks like a delicious thing that they've got posted here this week from Cagnus Gourmand. It is... Again, as they say, bringing a little bit of Southern America to France. It's a picture of ribs, barbecue ribs. And it looks like maybe some bacon beans and got bacon with the, the, the beans. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about when you go to a barbecue restaurant. And even got some what looks like Texas toast all the way over in France. Do you think French, the residents of France, love Southern barbecue and ribs and Texas toast? Have they even heard of Texas and France? (laughs) Well, if they haven't, I know what. If they've not heard of barbecue and good old what looks like pork shoulders, they are 
going to start a new revolution, it looks like, in France here with this delicious photo. Coming to us, again, from Cagnes Gourmand, from Halt de, Tag- halt de Cagnes, wherever in the world you might be. Thank you for sharing that. Makes me want to go get me some French barbecue right now. We've got a whole nother hour of talk with a southern accent coming up. We're going to keep it international in the second hour. Iran native Shab is a now a Dallas-based pop singer. She's going to be our special guest in hour two. You don't want to miss out. Text or call us any old time, 803-816-1170. Operators standing by for your whatever you got on your mind. Good, bad, we'll take it right here on the show. It's all about the South. I'm John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American. I am the general of all things Southern. And here we're going to be plotting out our battle plan for this Second hour of the Thursday Y'all Show. We have more headlines coming in from across Dixie we'll get to. Entertainment headlines, more from the Spears family. Y'all getting tired of hearing about Brittany and her family? Well, it's the biggest news in some cases going on in entertainment world. We'll also let you know about a country music starlet that's had a top five song with Blake Shelton in years past. She's got some disturbing health news that we'll be sharing in our entertainment report forthcoming here in the second hour. Plus, we've got some Garth and Tricia news that ties in the Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. <laughs> That's a strange connection. We'll tell you all about it here this hour. We'll keep the music coming this hour, courtesy of Dallas-based pop singer Shab. Shab is a extremely gifted singer, a very beautiful lady. She's based again in Dallas, but she is a native of Iran. And she left Iran many years ago. She at one time lived in the Maryland, D.C. area. Now she's calling Dallas-Fort Worth area home. We'll get to hear a little bit of her pop song, Spell on Me. And we'll learn a lot more about this pop singer in the Lone Star State, Shab. We've got an interview coming up in just a bit here on the show that's all about the South. And evidently, we're all about the South of Tehran today when we have Shab come on and tell us about her career, what she's got going on. Just a going to be a fun time catching up with this pop singer on today's Y'all Show. Before the hour's up, we have a southern accent on southern business that we'll be getting to you. Before the show's up today, I want to remind you that in hour number three, we will be walking across the south and telling you about some of the fun festivals and other exciting things going on this weekend if you're still looking to find something to do if you don't want to run out there and cut grass all weekend or you're looking to get away period we've got some awesome events going on across the 16 southern states and we'll share that with you here in the third hour of talk with a southern accent now picking up our news headlines from across the southeast today did you hear about here on the y'all show maybe you read about it somewhere else that there was the effort of some at the University of North Carolina to get tenure for Professor Nicole Jones. She is the lady that wrote the 1619 Project and won a Pulitzer Prize, I think, for that. Then she got a master's degree from the University of North Carolina. So she was going to go back to her alma mater and be on the faculty there of the journalism school 
but part of that included getting tenure. Well, originally, UNC did not offer her tenure for that kind of guest chair, I guess is what it's called in academia. And so that created this huge controversy. And in the end, UNC reversed course and said, oh, no, we'll give you tenure. Come on down, Nicole Jones. And then she decides to, after given the opportunity to come be on the faculty with tenure, you know what? The heck with y'all. I'm going to go be a professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Well, the fallout continues after Nicole Jones has made this decision to spurn UNC. And now the university there in Chapel Hill has called an emergency meeting among fears that Nicole Jones, this whole controversy, could result in the ouster of Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz as he initially supported the project author's hiring, the 1619 project author's hiring, and now, because of her decision to leave, it looks like the chancellor could be leaving too, or there's pressure. UNC has been in the news for some crazy things over the last couple of years, from the Silent Sam debacle and students literally tearing it down and the university not standing up for that, They've had so many problems with their athletic teams doing things that they frankly should have been shut down and given the SMU treatment for a while. But now at a faculty meeting, an emergency faculty meeting on Wednesday, it happened as a result of the fallout from this journalist, this left-wing journalist, Nicole Jones, rejecting an offer of tenure suggesting that racism played a part in the school initially dragging its feet about her future. And the faculty chair at UNC Chapel Hill, Mimi Chapman, said that this emergency faculty council meeting would address Nicole Jones's concerns with state politicians, trustees, and those in the UNC System Board of Governors who are trying to replace Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz, again, who supported bringing Jones on initially. More to come in this developing story from UNC Chapel Hill. Also news out of North Carolina, the family of Andrew Brown Jr. That was the man that was shot and killed by deputies in Elizabeth City about six weeks ago. His family now filing a $30 million federal lawsuit in the old North State as Brown was shot and killed by deputies serving drug-related warrants at his Elizabeth City, North Carolina home. That was in April. Gosh, hard to believe it's been, I guess it has been that long now if you sit back and think about it. But this man shot and killed, and now his family filing a $30 million federal lawsuit on Wednesday. The lawsuit filed at the courthouse in the Eastern District of North Carolina, and it comes after months after the 42-year-old Brown shot by the Pascatank County Sheriff's deputies serving those warrants at his home on April 21st. Amid ongoing demonstrations at the time, the elected district attorney for the Judicial District Number 1 North Carolina, Andrew Womble, cleared the deputies of any wrongdoing, announcing that the shooting, while tragic, was justified because Brown allegedly used his vehicle as a deadly weapon. On Wednesday outside the courthouse there in North Carolina, Bakari Sellers, the CNN analyst, who lives in the Charlotte area, was there. 
and he said that the federal lawsuit was filed because the family didn't believe they could get justice in the sheriff's office or in state court. So they're taking it straight to the feds here with Bakari Sellers announcing this $30 million federal lawsuit in Elizabeth City or from the shooting in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. That happened in April, that shooting. Do you have the ability to rewind all the way back to February? Remember, it was in February of this year we had that awful cold spell across much of the South. Texas really got it bad. And now we have updated numbers coming in from the Lone Star State. The death toll from that February cold wave in the Lone Star State, 210 people now officially counted as deaths from that blizzard, that awful week or so for Texans. Texans having to go back to what it felt like in the uh, pioneer days, frankly, as the new death tally was created by the Texas Department of State Health Services, and it boosted the toll, which was at 151. It boosted that toll to 210 deaths. Most of that boost of numbers comes from exposure to the sometimes sub-zero temperatures. Some deaths blamed on carbon monoxide poisoning as Texans who were freezing and their power was out, salt warmth from cars and outdoor grills. But 210 souls lost now, according to officials in Texas. The county with the highest death toll was Houston, where Harris County is. Then Harris County had 43 deaths as a result of this ice ice and snowstorm. Travis County, Austin's County had 28 deaths. Dallas County, 20 deaths. The toll is a certainly, certainly a far cry from the initial report that came out with 57 deaths in Texas from this thing, but now officially 210 deaths in Texas from the February cold snap that went there. And a lot of people, most every Texan somehow suffered, and unfortunately hundreds ended up dying as a result of this awful, awful event of February, which Texas got hit bad, obviously. But a lot of southern states had snowfall for several days, and it just was pretty nasty. And you know what yours truly did during that time? I was in the hospital for a couple of days. Nothing to do with the snowstorm. I had a nasty fall and uh, spent three days in the hospital. And frankly, still don't really know why yours truly took a little bit of a plunge and broke my collarbone along the way. That's not why I had to be in the hospital three days. If y'all know a good doctor, let me know. I'm having a problem. (laughs) I don't think my problem's that serious, but geesh. can you find a good doctor? I need a good doctor, and I need a good... I guess we all should have right at our Rolodex a good doctor and a good lawyer always on standby. And maybe a a shrink. Maybe a good... Maybe they don't even have to be a, an actual psychologist, but just someone you can call, and they'll answer the phone. That's the problem I got with doctors. You can't talk to anybody. You got to go through five layers of um, th- their underlings, frankly. And you get the nurse practitioners. We love our nurse practitioners, but you're still not a doctor. I'm sorry. And uh, sometimes you just need to talk to a doctor. It's like talking to an old friend. And uh, that was my experience from the snowy times of February. I will say, though, if you're going to be stuck in a hospital, it's kind of neat to be 
in a hospital when there's snow and ice outside because each day you're st- you're stuck there on the sixth floor like I was. You get to have a little game each day when the sun's out. Hmm, I wonder how much of this parking lot's going to evaporate from snow today. Pretty boring times there for yours truly, frankly, but uh, still lovely, lovely to be in the hospital when there's snow on the ground. Well, I don't know if there's snow on the ground in Clarksdale, but evidently there's a lot of green on the ground, uh, green as in money, as the Mississippi Delta town of Clarksdale, which has a population of just about 15,000. Clarksdale, I would say probably in a pretty big impoverished portion of (laughs) the Magnolia State. I think Mississippi is actually the poorest state in the country, I think. And this is in the poorest area of the poorest state, the Mississippi Delta. Clarksdale, with 15,000 people, is going to pay its mayor more money than the state of Mississippi pays Tate Reeves, its governor, as officials in Clarksdale deciding this week not to reconsider a plan that they approved in June that gives pay raises to the mayor, the city commissioners, and other city employees Chuck Espy, now he is connected to Mike Espy, the one-time Secretary of Agriculture under Bill Clinton and a guy who's been running for Senate in Mississippi in recent years. Chuck Espy is going to receive a nearly $36,000 bump in his pay that will bring his salary to $122,421. 122000 is what he's going to be making. And Tate Reeves' salary was also $122,000, but this guy's got him beat by about $260 as Espy's going to make $122,421. Reeves made $122,160. So more money found as governor or as mayor of Clarksdale, Mississippi, than governor of the entire state. Also, how about your city commissioners in Clarksdale, Mississippi? These jobs are considered part-time jobs. They're receiving raises of $22,000 each. And now Clarksdale's city commissioners in Mississippi will have their part-time pay be $46,000 a year. Somebody get me to Clarksdale. I'm going to run for office there. In fact, maybe they're a little jealous of the county commissioners. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to it. Don't take me to court. But Mississippi has about 82 counties, I think. And each of the 82 counties has county commissioners. There's usually about four or five county commissioners in every single county of the Magnolia State. And from what I remember from my time living there, I was told, again, don't quote me, you can look it up, and this might be similar across the southeast, but I know it was like this in Mississippi, which has got to be one of the most affordable states in the country to live in, frankly. A county commissioner has a part-time job, but a county commissioner in Mississippi gets about a $45,000 a year payment for being a county commissioner. And they get a pickup truck. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? Now, again, that could vary from county to county, but I think it's actually across the board in Mississippi. 
and maybe other states are similar. Maybe other states have a better deal for these so-called part-time jobs. Not a bad gig being a commissioner, and certainly not a bad gig if you're Chuck Espy, mayor of Clarksdale, Mississippi, with your $122,000 a year salary for being the mayor. And you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being a, a nasty, nasty guy here. <laughs> you know there's at least some accusing people like Mayor Espy of probably getting other money under the table. Everybody accuses public officials of getting kickbacks and such. So, yeah, you just might... Uh, you just might not know what's going on. Now, one person has been asking to rescind these raises. It's actually the former mayor of Clarksdale, Mississippi, John Mayo. He was mayor from 1986 to 1989, and he's questioning how Clarksdale could afford such raises given the shrinking population and a tax base in one of the poorest parts of the entire country. <laughs> and Mayo saying this week, public service is a calling, it's not a job. People who approach public service as a job and not a calling are serving themselves, not the public. Hey, John Mayo, Mayor Mayo of the late 80s, sounds like you need to be running for mayor there in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which if you haven't gone by there lately, of course, it's the crossroads of the blues, Clarksdale. It's the home of Morgan Freeman's restaurant, Ground Zero. The Ground Zero Blues Club is there. In fact, we have a special guest coming on next week with us here, and she's going to tell us all about the Mississippi Delta. She's got a brand-new article up at y'all.com all about her tour of the Delta, and she stops by Clarksdale. And we're going to have her here on this show next week, Ashley Steenson. And it's going to be a fantastic conversation as she tours the Mississippi Delta, goes by a bunch of great towns, great venues. She tours and enjoys great food. That's a little a little tease of our interview with Ashley Stinson coming up next week on the Y'all Show. But yeah, Clarksdale in the news right now. Some people not very happy about what's going on in terms of the fact that some people are making a lot of money, and some of those people include elected officials. All right, one more story before we take a break here, and this comes to us from Middle Tennessee. Look out for bobcats as the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency say that bobcats are out more than normal. TWRA officials saying that bobcat mothers recently give birth that gave birth to litters and so they're currently out hunting for their young. And something tells me I'm kind of up on my felines these days. This is probably across the whole southeast. Bobcat mamas giving birth this time of year, and now they're out hunting for their young. Now, in a very populated area of Williamson County, you have Cool Springs Mall. And in that area, a lot of residents there are seeing bobcats running off with prey and people taking pictures near the mall of bobcats crossing the road in the middle of the daytime. And so be careful out there. These bobcats, it looks like more mamas trying to get a little bit of food. You don't need to feed them. They're beautiful little creatures, but they can pack a punch if you ever run across one. If you don't believe me, just go ask Jerry Clower. Uh, Yeah, be careful out there across the south with these bobcats now trying to take care of themselves. In fact, funny story, last time I saw a living, breathing bobcat in the wild, 
was in Williamson County, Tennessee. I was on Highway 96. I guess that would be the Leapers Fork area, way, way back before they ever built Interstate 840, which is a kind of circumference, south circumference of Middle Tennessee now. If you want to avoid going through downtown Nashville, you can get on that thing from Dixon all the way to Lebanon, frankly. But before they built that, I was driving. And that's the only time I've actually seen a Bobcat out kind of not looking for it. I think I've seen them before, but this one I know was one, and it crossed right in front of me. It's kind of spooky, kind of spooky. I'm a little scared of Bobcats, but I sure like them. And if you are like me, you went to a school at one point in your career that was the Wildcats. So, yeah, my high school was the Wildcats. I bet yours might have been too. Wildcats, Tigers, got a lot of the teams out there, you know, kind of, I don't know why they don't come up with more creative names for high schools, but yeah, that uh, that's who I am. Go Wildcats, go Bobcats. That's also a name of a lot of schools across the Southeast. <laughs> All right, watch out for them Bobcats. That's our public service announcement for today. When we come back, I'm going to announce that we have entertainment news coming in, including some disturbing news and some news where we frankly need to pray for a country music singer. She's going through a tough time, and I'll tell you who that is, and we'll play her song when we come right back. This East Tennessee singer, all that is ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. Thought you'd pick up the phone It's Friday night You should be out on the town Didn't think you'd be Sitting at home all alone like me Nothing on TV, nothing to do Nothing to keep my mind off you and me And the way it was Are you thinking about it now? Because I could be there in five a hit from a few years ago Blake Shelton and that lovely voice alongside him Ashley Monroe Ashley is a 34 year old East Tennessean and she's in the news this week because she's sharing news that she has a blood cancer diagnosis the singer songwriter whose biggest song thus far has been this big song that she had with Blake Shelton Lonely Tonight we wish him wish her all the best she's also been a part of a band called pistol annies alongside miranda lambert and angelina presley she's had a couple albums out but right now her focus is on getting healthy and getting past this blood cancer diagnosis as she said in a statement this week 
gratitude, moments like these, I am overwhelmed with gratitude, getting flowers delivered weekly, enjoying a staycation in Nashville when we had to cancel our Florida trip, sitting with my sisters the day I found out, seeing John be my rock and the best dad to Dalton, and being surrounded and prayed for by the best friends and family and manager I could ever dream up, and Ashley put up photos of herself and her family. We wish her all the best again. She's undergoing a fight with blood cancer right now. Ashley Monroe, born in Knoxville, and again, kind of based out of the East Tennessee area. She won a talent contest in Pigeon Forge as an 11-year-old and then had her album come out back around 2006, Satisfied. And again, her biggest song to date was that duet there with Blake Shelton, but we wish her well. She's been nominated for Grammys and CMT Awards and more. And this 34-year-old with a bit of a battle on her hand right now, we wish her all the best. Good luck, Ashley. Now the Emmy Awards. Nominations coming out. We have the list. Could I have the list, please? Okay, yes, hand it over to me. A few of the categories and nominees here. The Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or TV Movie. Paul Bettany for WandaVision. Hugh Grant nominated for The Undoing. Ewan McGregor for Halston. Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, and also from Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. The outstanding lead actress in a limited series or TV movie, Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You, Cynthia Erivo for Genius Aretha, Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision, Anna Joy for The Queen's Gambit, and Kate Winslet nominated for Mayor of Easttown. Okay, a few of the lead actor nominees for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. A couple of the nominees include Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method. How about Jason Sudeikis for that crazy movie about where he's a football coach that gets hired to go over to Great Britain and coach soccer, Ted Lasso. He's nominated for that. Also, Anthony Anderson nominated as a lead actor in a comedy series for Blackish. Lead actress in a comedy series. Some of the nominees include Gene Smart for Hacks, A.D. Bryant for Shrill, Allison Janney for Mom. And then if we go to some of the outstanding limited series nominees, those include Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, The Queen's Gambit. And then we have outstanding drama series. The Emmy nominees for that include The Boys, Bridgerton, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Lovecraft's Country, The Mandalorian, and Pose. Again, those are just some of the current Emmy nominations going on right now. Britney Spears, she's got her a new lawyer. That was the big news announced this week. But also, Britney Spears' conservatorship hearing is ongoing, and you can go follow all the tabloids if you want to find out what's going on. But the big news here this week, she's got new legal representation. We wish her the best. A new movie that's available for you to both stream and I think in some cases go see in the theater is Gunpowder Milkshake. This is a movie that gives action fans a violent bang for their buck, according to reviewer Brian Lowry. Again, this is a new film, and it weds the spaghetti western with the colorful visions of anime. All that, again, according to this reviewer, as it has a couple of actors and actresses that you might be familiar with. Some of these include some folks with Southern connections. This is a thriller film directed by Navot Papachetto, and it is from a screenplay by he and Ehad Lavisky, 
and it stars Karen Gillian in the main role. It was digitally released on, let's see here, released Wednesday, and it will be theatrically released today. So, yeah, it's available in two different ways. You can see it on Netflix and or at the theater. Gunpowder Milkshake. Among the stars of this is Carla Carla Gugino. She's an actress. She is a Sarasota native. She stars in this. Also, a lady that spent some time growing up in the South, Angela Bassett, stars in this. As she, at one time, lived when she was born in New York. She ultimately lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, before ultimately moving to St. Petersburg, Florida. But Bassett's in here. Jugino's in here. Check it out. It's a brand-new film on Netflix and in theaters, Gunpowder Milkshake. And wrapping up our headlines from the entertainment world, we told you earlier this week that Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood made their way to Plains, Georgia this week to help Jimmy and Rosalind Carter celebrate their 75th wedding anniversary. That's big news in itself, right? Both the fact that the president and his first lady, always his first lady, had their 75th birthday. But how about the fact that Garth and Trisha got together with the former president in Plains, Georgia. Well, we know now maybe one of the reasons they went all the way down from Nashville, technically Goodlettsville, to Plains, is they have gifted the former chief executive and the former first lady a convertible, a classic convertible given to the once president. And they joined there in, in Plains, Georgia, Bill Clinton and Hillary, Also, Nancy Pelosi was there. Ted Turner made his way there for the celebration. And they got them a red convertible as a gift. A convertible built. In 1946, the same year Jimmy and Rosalind got married. What a beautiful, beautiful gift. And I see the picture of it. It's a nice bright bright red convertible. I don't even know if the Carters can drive, but something tells me that's going to end up in the Carter Museum pretty soon, and uh, a lot of people are going to be envious. I guess when you're Garth and Tricia, it's no big deal to get <laughs> the former president a 75-year-old car as a as a anniversary gift, but a beautiful, beautiful gift and a beautiful car, too. Congratulations to the Carters. Congratulations to... Garth and Tricia for being such great Southerners and very generous Southerners to a couple in the Carters who have been so generous to this country through their humanitarian work since they left the White House in the 1981, technically, was the year Ronald Reagan took over. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to go to Dallas as pop singer Shab lives there, and she has one heck of a story. She came to this country from Iran. And now she's making beautiful music, and you're going to get to learn a lot more about this talented singer-songwriter. Shab and Spell on Me is her latest song. We'll let you know all about that when the Y'all Show's Entertainment Spotlight pop music style returns after this.
with a southern accent with john rawl and here on this show we cover all things southern music included and we certainly focus in on the 16 southern states but we're going to do something now we've not yet done we're going to have our first pop star pop singer and this singer comes to us via texas via iran and she's on with us now to talk about her blowing up career and so much more a mother and a good southerner. She got here as fast as she could. Welcome in, everybody, Shab, to the Y'all Show. And she's at some kind of convention, so thank you for taking the time from the convention to talk to y'all. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm actually here at uh, Hope Supply event, and uh, we're doing a uh, doing bunch of little kids for homeless children, homeless adults, and uh so we're just trying to help out in our way and the way we can to give back to the community. And my husband and I actually, he's the he's the he's the part of the chair for the organization, and I'm um, just blessed to be part of this with him, so I can help him with both our causes. Actually, this is very close to my heart as well, helping others. That's where I feel most alive. We're going to talk about your work and your pop music that you have, and the way that you've kind of how you got into this. As again. You are not a native Texan or Southerner. You're actually from Iran, and then you went to Europe. So how in the world did you go from Iran to Europe to Texas and somehow mix music into all of it? Well, music is, uh, as they say, very healing, right? So growing up in Iran when I was younger, you know, we would listen to music, and that was kind of our escape into the rea- in another reality and just kind of getting away into another world where everything is perfect and loving and kind and you know the world is a good place and music has always been my escape and so then of course I moved to Germany I went to boarding school there um and so and I came to U.S. when I was in ninth grade so I finished high school went to college did my uh, degree in uh, international marketing and uh got my bachelor's and was going to go back to school do law and so sort of like dropped out and I you know just didn't know what I wanted to do for a little while and um, then I did the spa world for a while fell in love with it but music is again always been part of that journey with me and uh, it's just been so healing I'm very grateful to be able to have this and uh, now you know being a songwriter just uh, having that expression as an artist to be able to write something beautiful I uh, see and Spell on Me is your first English language effort. So have you been singing in Farsi in the past? Correct. I actually released a song, um, and then I was pregnant with my daughter, and I just I was finishing my first Persian album, which I still have, and it's done. We just didn't release it. We only released one single. Um, so then I got pregnant with my daughter, and I took some time off so I can really enjoy that 
process. And then in between uh, all of that, I was like, why don't I write in English, you know, or why don't I sing in English? So it became um, something that I was like so passionate about. And I was, I was like, I'm going to do it because whenever I put my head into something, I always do it. So uh, I have that drive and ambition. So I'm very blessed. Talking with Shab here on the Y'all Show, and as we said, she has the background of being an Iranian who's found her way to Texas. So are are people in Iran able to hear your music? Yes, absolutely, um, because you can stream it technically from any platform, okay. so, which, is, which is great. Yeah. I see. And if you look on a map, where are you from in Iran? I was raised in, I was born in the capital city of Tehran. Mm-hmm. And I was there until I was eight, not even shy of nine. And I moved to Germany, went to boarding school there. I see. Because I've always been captivated by that area to the north of Tehran that has, what is it, the Caspian Sea? The Caspian Sea, the Persian Gulf, you know. Yeah. You have uh, the Paris Police, a lot of the very old um, architectures that are ancient. Mm-hmm. Um, like Alexander the Great, you know, back in the day. Um so it's just a lot of like really cool culture and a history that sure. when you just walk through these walls and you just you see like piece of history that's super ancient. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No kidding. A lot ancient than, uh, let's say, the South. Now, how often in the South do you run into fellow Iranians? Um, not much, honestly. I feel like uh, the most majority of population are either in uh, Washington, D.C. or California. Mm-hmm. You know, Orange County or San Diego, L.A. I mean, it's uh, Persians, I guess, like warm, nice, warm and nice weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty smart. I'll have to be honest with you. <laughs> and they yeah. like good music, too. And you have given them and folks right here in the South the opportunity to hear your music. And as I said, you consider yourself a pop singer. So you're in Texas where they got something called country music that's pretty pretty common around there. And tell me about I'm, the pop thing. How, who who are your influences? That's a really good question. Um, you know, like I love country music. I think it's beautiful. Like I really do. I listen myself, you know. Uh, I just don't sing it, but I, I really enjoy that art. But my, my influencers in the beginning, well, it really depends because when I was younger and back in the old country – uh, my sisters and brothers, I'm the baby of 13, so there Gosh. are seven boys, five girls. Yeah, big family. And so... Somebody was know, busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But, um, so my brothers and sisters, like my older siblings, they, you know, they would play ABBA and Michael Jackson, um, and, you know, the Bee Gees. Uh, I, I just love all kinds of music, like Diana Summer. You know, uh, so like I, I kind of grew up in that, you know, Footloose, you know, the movie Footloose, Flashdance. Yeah. I mean, those are the, all the stuff that I was kind of exposed to and I really loved it. Are you telling me people in Iran can see Footloose? Oh, yeah. Oh. Fact, of course. I, I was much younger then. I mean, gosh. I, I mean, they had to hide the videotape, I guess, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's our best representation. But, hey, if it helped inspire a young girl to go into <laughs> pop music, then that's just fine and dandy and so again we showed the the image of this a moment a moment ago i'll pull it up again spell on me is what you have out now tell me about this and where it was produced and what people can expect when they have a listen to spell on me sure spell on me is um 
actually I wrote it with uh, Damon. Damon produced for um, for J Lo. Actually, one of the songs is called "My Love Don't Cost a Thing," and she had a lot of success with it. I mean, he's just a super talented, um, amazing guy, and we're a family now. And his wife and I were super close. Um, so, but yeah, you know, I just kind of started co- coming up with some ideas and I told him about it and he's like, wow, I really like it. I said, why don't we do something with the Middle Eastern, like the vibe, you know, maybe pop, you know, and Middle Eastern as well in it. And I was like, what do you think about these words and the, these kind of ideas? And he loved it. And I was just so happy that he was open to, to creating something like this with me, um, something different. Um, and uh, I was I was super, super happy that, it worked out the way we, we imagined it too. So, um, but yeah, and even the words, I mean, it's about, spellum is about love, you know, it's about how, like the, the power of love. I mean, we, we feel so powerful and powerless at the same time when we're in love, right? So it's just like stories about, you know, that torment of love where, you know, it's like the, the shine of someone's eyes, you know, so it's like you see that shine and then just, it's the the eyes are the window of the wind the the I'm sorry the eyes are the soul is like the part of your soul of the window you know so that's the way they say it but anyway so that's pretty much it Chef yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the cover of this spell on me and uh, you're a beautiful lady uh, tell me about this so the, the artwork here because that you don't look anything like what I'm seeing on the cover so uh, yeah tell me about very, that well you know the way you look at um, art uh, images a certain way they're taking a picture of you or there's lights i mean obviously we're inside of this place and i was in the desert where the sun was like shining okay face. <laughs> i'm in natural light and i'm inside like you know this these like lights. yeah i see that <laughs> so you know it definitely makes people look a little different than they they, then, they appear to be than they but, would in the desert like you it looks like you're there yeah, we're talking with Shab here on the Y'all Sorry, Show. I think I lost you for a second. No, nah, we got you back here on the Y'all Show at Shab and Spell on Me, the latest album. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about also is the fact that, yes, you have music that is about love, but you have a very female-centric sound, a, a, a sound that young girls will definitely be drawn to. And moms, you're a mother of two yourself, so just talk about the female influence and how you bring that into your music? Um, that's a, you know, I mean, it all depends on, upon, you know, what I'm experiencing in my own personal life that I'm writing about, um, or just, um, kind of putting words of like, I, I, I think music, like I said earlier, music is very healing. And, um, I always try to create something that's, I've either experienced or, you know, it has helped me as a person to grow. So I would love to be able to help others through that experience and how we can get through it with music and healing. And, you know, whether it's like working out and listening to music or you're dancing and there's a form of art. That's pretty much it, really. Okay. That's very well said. And tell <laughs> tell people, you can go to the website shabofficial.com for more do you currently have a full album available, or is that still forthcoming? No, we are actually working on our second album. Second and, album. Um, correct. We have eight uh, songs already ready to go, and I actually received my last song uh, last night. It's called, I can't tell you the name, but 
it's amazing. I'm super, super psyched to be able to share my second album because I've seen myself as an artist. I've grown so much. And uh, it's just been amazing to see my own transformation as a person, as an artist, as a human. So art is just big, get big for me. And music has always been part of my life. And uh, it has healed me so much. And I cannot wait to touch more lives and to become more well-known throughout so I can share this knowledge of like, you know, great music and fun dancing with others to bring hmm. into my world. All right. Well, we hope you can definitely do that. We're going to do our part here at y'all.com and the y'all show to make Shab out there a household name as we certainly will do our best in the American South. And speaking of South, as we wrap up with you, Shab, a lady born in Iran, lived in Europe and has lived in the South in places like Maryland and also in Texas. How have you adjusted from Iran, let's say from Tehran to Texas? What's what's that divide or how what's the biggest crazy thing you've experienced in trying to make yourself a little bit more not American but Southern? The first thing is uh, everything is a lot bigger here. Is it really? <laughs> Even in Maryland. I mean, Maryland is big, but I always say everything is bigger in Texas. Um, I just love the the Southern hospitality. I love how people are just so kind and loving. Uh, I've never really experienced anything like East Coast coming here. It was a big eye-opener for me. And the people are just so nice and kind. Uh and I just, I just, I love Texas. I feel like this has always been my home. <laughs> I, I feel like I haven't, I haven't missed a heart, heartbeat, you know, like not being here, but I, I love the people. I love, uh, I love what Texas stands for. And, um, and just the kind folks, you know, Southern hospitality. When they say that they, I actually like really feel that. And I got to ask here as we wrap up with you again, website, shabofficial.com. Are you guilty, even though uh, Farsi is maybe your native tongue, are you guilty here in the English language of dropping a couple of y'alls on people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, when I first went back to Maryland and I said you all, and they were like, uh, Shab, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, you all ready to go out to dinner? You know, it's just something funny. Uh, no, yes, I definitely, I am guilty. At yeah. And is there an equivalent? you all. Is there an equivalent in Farsi of y'all? I mean, we don't really have it. Maybe Shomaha. Ah, Shomaha. Yeah, like all you all. All you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for taking the time here today to talk about you and your music and just a good, good success with what you've got coming up. And thank you for taking the time and best of luck. Hey, thank you so much, John. I appreciate your time. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you all so much. <laughs> all right. We'll have more of the Y'all Show coming up. Stay to where you are. This is the show that covers Texas and beyond. Southern accent. Here's the Business South update from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Restaurants, bars, caterers, and others in the food service industry who applied for the government's pandemic relief program will be left high and dry unless Congress provides more money for the grant. The Small Business Administration's Restaurant Revitalization Fund collected more than 372,000 applications 
seeking $76 billion, far exceeding the grant's $28.6 million budget, according to Administrator Isabella Casillas Guzman at a House Small Business Committee oversight hearing. The agency seized receiving applications May 24th. The fund was created by Congress in March and prioritized women and veterans applications first, alongside minority business owners who met specific income and asset limits. As more than 208,000 applications met those stipulations, it will be met first, said Ms. Guzman. Another grant program, the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant, for live event businesses such as theaters and music clubs, appears to have enough funding for qualified applicants. With the $16, with the $16 billion program receiving 13,000 applications that have totaled around $11 billion. Though the program has progressed far slower than the restaurant grant. Business news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right. Well, that will wrap up Hour 2 here for the Y'all Show Thursday edition. Coming up in Hour 3, oh, we got more good stuff coming. We got a blast on sports. We got to tell you about the NBA Finals. We'll do that at the top of the hour. Plus, we'll let you know more about the traditions and alumni that are quite famous from the University of Southern Mississippi, Southern Miss Golden Eagles. We're talking all about you. We're going to do that in Hour 3. Stay with us. This is the Y'all Show. It's the Y'all Show, and here on this program, we talk about everything going on in the 16 southern states. I'm General John Rawls, certified Southern American here, and I'm glad to be in the host chair getting us through this Thursday edition where we indeed talk about everything going on across the southeast. Here in this hour, we're going to be telling you all about the traditions and famous alums of Southern Miss, this Conference USA member is poised for a turnaround season on the gridiron in 2021. In this hour, we're going to not necessarily talk about the X's and O's going on for Coach Hall's Southern Miss Golden Eagle football team, but we're going to actually tell you about the fun times that you can have if you make your way to Hattiesburg, or if you're really a local there, it's Hattiesburg. (laughs) Yeah, I've been to Hattiesburg or Hattiesburg a bunch of times. Never made it to a home football game, though, at the Rock. But it's on my to-do list. Southern Miss football, Southern Miss traditions all coming up here as we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. And today, we're dropping by that special spot just off of Interstate 59. And what is it, US 49 that comes down from Jackson to the Mississippi Gulf Coast? At that intersection of 49 and I-59, you find Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Southern Miss to the top. We're going to be telling you about all kinds of good Golden Eagle information in a few minutes. Also, before the hour is up, more headlines from across the southeast. And we have actually gone through our intense, intense research team here at the show All About the South has composed a list of festivals and fun activities going on across the southeast. And we'll be sharing that with you here before the hour is up. Places like the Riverfest Regatta, that's going on this weekend. How about the Reggae Wine Music and Art Festival? That's going on this weekend. I'm not telling you where these are going on, by the way. you got to stick around and let me tell you exactly where. Did you realize right now this week it's the Choctaw Indian Fair taking place? How about going on 
the Beaufort Water Festival. Well, that's a pretty big hint. That's in Beaufort, and it's on the water. So how many Beauforts are on the water? Hmm. You'll just have to stick around. All that plus Comic Palooza going on this week. And then a really interesting festival going on right now, Hungry Mother Festival. What the heck is a Hungry Mother? If you'll stick around, I'll tell you all about it here as we go through some of the festivals and events of this weekend around the southeast. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us. If you have a festival or an event going on that you desperately want people around the south to know about, we'll be happy to share that information right here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Let's talk about some sports to kick off this hour of coverage. How about the Milwaukee Bucks as they are rearing those antlers up and they're coming back to life 109-103 as Giannis and company combined with Middleton. Middleton was the real star as he showed why he's really a big force for this basketball franchise. Milwaukee knots up the NBA Finals in Game 4. It's now tied at two games apiece as Milwaukee got the 109-103 victory over the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday there from Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. It was really the fourth quarter. That was the real, real change for this basketball game. Milwaukee came soaring in that fourth period, and they had a 12-point advantage. They scored 33 in that fourth period compared to Phoenix's 21, and that made all the difference in the world as this series now tied up at two games apiece. It resumes Saturday as Milwaukee and Phoenix get back together in the desert at Phoenix Suns Arena. That game, Game 5, is going to tip off on ABC at 9 Eastern, 8 Central Saturday evening, Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Some disturbing stories coming from the NFL ranks on Wednesday. Richard Sherman was allegedly drunk and threatened to kill himself before he got arrested according to a 911 caller, as Sherman appeared to be intoxicated, threatening to kill himself during a confrontation with family members before he was arrested early on Wednesday in a Seattle suburb. That, according to this 911 caller, who identified herself as the free agent cornerback's wife. An audio of this call, the 911 call, made purportedly by Sherman's wife, Ashley Moss, And it was obtained by ESPN and ABC News early today. The caller described Sherman as being drunk and belligerent and said he was threatening to kill himself. Again, according to this report, it was Ashley Sherman making the call to 911. And she also said he was being aggressive, wrestled with her uncle, and then sent text messages to people saying he's going to hang himself. The caller can be heard attempting to prevent Sherman from leaving the residence saying, Richard, please stop. She also told the 911 dispatcher that Sherman drank two bottles of hard alcohol. Now, I don't know what's really going on with this guy who has been one of the stars of the National Football League. And, again, he's alleged here to be drunk and there was other things going on. He's not currently on an NFL roster. He's technically listed as a free agent, but certainly a lot more coming out in this developing story from Seattle with Richard Sherman. Dwayne Haskins is a backup quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, it's not Haskins, but his wife facing domestic violence charges as his wife, Calibra Haskins, 
faces a felony charge of battery and domestic violence resulting in bodily harm. All this comes from an altercation they had at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas back on July 3rd. And now Mrs. Haskins gets this domestic violence charge from this alleged assault at a Vegas hotel room there at the Cosmopolitan. According to reports, Mrs. Haskins is accused of punching Dwayne Haskins in the mouth and other injuries that Haskins reportedly suffered were substantial in nature. The NFL backup quarterback had a split upper lip and a missing tooth, and he suffered other injuries to his mouth, according to reports, that would require dental work to repair his teeth. He might have to get a a gold grill after all this is over with. Police showing up at the hotel at 2.30 a.m. Pacific time, which was pretty early in the morning, I guess, when you're in Vegas, you live a late lifestyle, do you not? But Haskins had to be taken to a hospital for his facial injury. Again, he is currently a Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback, and he's missing at least one tooth, and he might be missing a wife after all this is said and done. More to come, of course, from this situation, a disturbing situation from the NFL. The golfers got up and going early, at least here in this part of the world, as they're in Sandwich, England this week for the Open Championship taking place there at Royal St. George's Golf Club. And as scores look like a few few golfers might still be out right now, we don't have their final results in. But I can tell you, at least in this round underway, some of the more familiar names are atop the scoreboard at the Open Championship. How about South African Louis Oosthuizen as he shot six under? In this first round, Jordan Spieth, he shot 500 at the Open Championship. A name that's not often heard, a golfer from this part of the world, Brian Harmon. He also shot 500 in the opening round. How about Florence, Alabama native and Georgia Tech alum, Stuart Sink, the Open champion from many years ago. He shot 400. Way to go, Stuart Sink. First round in the books. More to come again throughout the weekend. As far as notable names that finished and did not do all that well that you might recognize, Lucas Glover, who just won on the PGA Tour this past weekend, he shot five over. Harris English, who won a couple of weeks ago in Connecticut, he also shot five over in his opening round. These guys look like they're not going to be making the cut. Phil Mickelson, three over in his first round. I'm sorry, Phil Mickelson's still on the course. My apologies, lefty. (laughs) Uh, Gary Woodland did not do all that great in his first round. It's the Open Championship taking place right now. Check it out if you like golf. Now to some college football news. Congratulations to Brent Venables. The Clemson defensive coordinator continues to make buck as Clemson has made him, I think, once again. But perhaps he has not been technically the highest paid assistant in all of college football. But now that Penn has met paper, the Clemson fiery defensive coordinator has agreed to be the highest paid assistant football coach when he and the Clemson Board of Trustees approved a contract extension that Brent Venables, an assistant coach, is now going to pay the university, pay him $2.5 million a year through the year 2026. 
This new contract adds one year and $100,000 per year to his existing contract. So good job there, $2.5 million to be a defensive coordinator at Clemson in South Carolina. And again, Clemson's defense has been spectacular. This is easily one of the top two or three programs in all of college football. And if Alabama had not come back and won another national championship in 2020, I had already given Clemson the title of being the best program in college football. I think they still are. But I have to say think because it looks like a guy in Tuscaloosa still has a little pea and vinegar still in him, and he wants to keep on winning championships. So I don't know if Dabo is still at Nick Saban level. But right now, Clemson, thanks to Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables, with his $2.5 million a year connection, is doing quite well financially. So not a bad offer there for Clemson to have him on staff through 2026. That's a quick look at what's going on sports-wise. When we come back after the break, we're going to go back to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, there in Forest County, and tell you more about the traditions and famous alumni and so much more of Southern Miss. Golden Eagle fans, let me hear you because you are today's spotlight as we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. And today it's all about USM. Southern Mists to the top. We'll be right back. It's college football time in the South. Well, almost. Got a couple of more weeks until real games kick off, but we just couldn't wait to get it going there with the fight song of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. That's where we find ourselves today. We're on a 44-city tour of the Southeast telling you all about the teams, the players, the coaches, and, oh, yeah, by the way, We also tell you about the famous alums and the traditions of these incredible colleges, 44 of them that we're spotlighting between now and when Labor Day weekend arrives and we've got college football games galore. Let's welcome you into the tradition spotlight of today's Y'all Show feature of Southern Miss. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. 
So if I didn't fire you enough, fire you up enough with my intro, how about that intro? That ought to really get you going as we, again, are just a couple of weeks away from the start of the 2021 college football season. And it's all today Southern Miss Golden Eagle conversation as we gave you in hour one a preview of the 2021 season as the Golden Eagles and their new coach, Will Hall, taking over at the Rock. In fact, Will Hall today is at the Jackson, in in Jackson, Mississippi, at the Country Club of Jackson, where at 5.30 there in Jackson, MS, he will be speaking to a throng of Golden Eagle supporters as he's on the Southern Miss Unmasked Will Hall introductory tour, the brand-new coach of USM. And then over the weekend, he's going to be in Long Beach at USM Gulf Park Campus at the Hardy Hall Ballroom. How about that? As he's got this program now under his Golden Eagle wing, Will Hall. Here in this hour of the Y'all Show, instead of telling you more about the coach, you can go back to our archives and listen in for the hour one conversation we told you all about Coach Hall and this 2021 edition of Southern Miss Football Right now, we're going to spend more about the time, more about USM as an institution, its traditions, its alumni, and more. First off, this is a school that got started back in 1910 as Mississippi Normal College. Essentially, it was a teacher's college located in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And at one time, the athletic programs were called the Southerners, as this school was called Mississippi Southern. It was the Mississippi Southern Southerners. (laughs) Then in 1972... The school changed its name. It changed its uh, athletic teams to the Golden Eagles, and has been a little bit of a an, a little bit of a pain in the butt for a lot of colleges across the South throughout history, as they've knocked off Alabama a couple of times. They've beat a school in Oxford a few times. They have gone and had success at bowl games and more. And then in basketball, baseball, they've gone to the College World Series in recent years. The Southern Miss Golden Eagles and USM, again, getting going as a teaching college more than 100 years ago. And now with their main campus in Hattiesburg, they've got a campus in Gulf Park there on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And a lot of people throughout the southern end of the state of Mississippi are big time into this program and find themselves supporters of the University of Southern Mississippi. The enrollment, by the way, at USM it currently sits right around, uh, mm, I'm trying to count up the exact number that I, 14,000, I guess you could say, right at 14,606 14, if you're keeping score at home uh, total. That's from all the campuses there for USM. Now, I know a few years ago they had a really bad tornado come through the campus and messed up a lot of stuff. It didn't, me- it didn't kill anybody, thank goodness, on campus at least, not that I know of. But it did a lot of damage right there on Hardy, the main drag there that connects the Southern Miss campus to downtown Hattiesburg. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty big school, especially in a state like Mississippi. As we discussed earlier in the show, the University of Southern Mississippi has in many ways been left in the dust as a lot of other teams around the South, including the Memphis Tigers and Louisville Cardinals, Some of their peer institutions have gone on to have a better conference home. Southern Miss has been left in the dark. And I don't blame it necessarily on the university. It's just unfortunately for Southern Miss, you're in a a bad position on the map. 
You're in Mississippi, which is most people consider the worst state in the South. At least it's the worst state in terms of population size. There's no major market in the state of Mississippi. So Southern Miss falling in Hattiesburg is a big, big strike. Plus, it doesn't help that if you're in a small state, you got two other colleges that are in the SEC, the elite conference in the land, and so you can't necessarily bring on a third college when states like Alabama only have two super colleges, if you will, within that state. Georgia only has Georgia, Georgia Tech at the FBS level, and so Southern Miss is really kind of, unfortunately for them and their location on the map, it's really hurt them, in my opinion. So they're doing the best they can to keep this program going, but they've had a lot of problems with athletic directors, coaches that go 0-12, and and they've tried their best to make this program go to the top. And speaking of Southern Miss, to the top, let me tell you about some of the famous alumni that USM has produced. Now, recently, they had the governor of the state of Mississippi was a Southern Miss alum, and that was Phil Bryant, class of 1977. They also have a current U.S. senator, as Cindy Smith is a Southern Miss alumnae. So lots of folks in the world of politics have come out of Southern Miss within the state of Mississippi. How about Natalie Allen? Remember her from CNN? She is a class of 84 from Southern Miss. How about a guy I know you've never heard of, Jimmy Buffett, Southern Miss class of 1969. Kat Cora. She is a cook on Iron Chef America on Food Network. She is a Southern Miss alum. How about this guy? I know you know the face. You know the voice. Did you know he's a Southern Miss alum? Actor Gary Grubbs. He was on JFK. He was on Will and Grace. Gary Grubbs, Southern Miss alum. If you like country music, you probably have seen Nan Kelly. She's on Grand Ole Opry Live on the GAC Network when they had that a former Miss Mississippi. She is a Southern Miss alum. So is singer Jamison Rogers. And a lot more singer-songwriters and more call themselves Southern Miss alums. You also have a guy who I think was recently the president of the school, and that was Major General Jeffrey Hammond. At one time, he led battalions in Bosnia, also was a general in Baghdad, but he is a Southern Miss alum, and I think he might have been an interim athletic director or something. He's been a pretty high up in the food chain there at Southern Miss. Lots of great athletes have come out of Southern Miss, including the former head coach, Jeff Bauer, as he was a football player for them. Another guy that played football for Southern Miss is a fellow named Ray Guy, seven-time Pro Bowl NFL punter. The punting award is named the Ray Guy Award. Ray Guy is Southern Miss class of 73, and Ray Guy went on beyond the NFL to be employed at Southern Miss in the athletic department. You also have a guy named Brett Favre. Brett Favre suited up and played for the Golden Eagles in the late 80s, went on to play for the Atlanta Falcons and Green Bay Packers and the New York Titans slash New York Jets and Minnesota Vikings. Did I leave anybody out? Brett Favre, who continues to live in the Hattiesburg area, maybe the most famous Southern Miss former athlete. Also coming out of Southern Miss is lots of baseball players. They've had a few basketball players go on to the NBA. 
It's a program known for great athletes, Southern Miss and the Golden Eagles. And then just so many more. I, I saw a name that I thought might have been one of my old professors as they have a notable faculty member, William Scarborough. And William Scarborough has passed away, but he was at one time the Charles W. Mormon Distinguished Alumni Professor in Humanities. And, yeah, I think I, I think I had his brother as a professor during my time. I don't think it was William. I had, I, it had to have been his brother because I see where his brother spoke at my alma mater once. So, anyway, that was one of their more famous alumni. But Southern Miss University, Hattiesburg, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Let me tell you quickly about some of the traditions at Southern Miss. Their school colors, black and gold. You have there at Southern Miss what they call Flag Friday. Flag Friday is where they encourage everybody who's a Southern Miss fan the day before a football game to show their support by displaying the black and gold flags on automobiles, homes, and places of business. I like that. That's a good idea. Flag Friday. Also, the painting of Little Rock. Of course, we know that the football stadium is called The Rock. The Little Rock features different sayings in support of Golden Eagle Athletics. The Rock is painted by members of The Legacy, which is the student chapter of the Alumni Association, and it is done to increase enthusiasm throughout campus. So they'll have phrases like barbecue the Blazers when Southern Miss takes on UAB and more. So that is a tradition there. Tailgating at the Rock is a tradition. How about the Dixie Darlings? That's the kind of uh, dance team slash baton twirlers, I think, also for Southern Miss. The Dixie Darlings, one of the longtime traditions of USM. And the district is another tradition. The district, located in front of Alumni House in the campus historical district, is a gathering place for Southern Miss students and alumni. Since the founding of the university during football season, the district becomes a hotbed of activity as students, alumni, and friends of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles gather to tailgate before each home game. They got tents set up. The district transformed into a sea of Southern Miss black and gold. So when you go there in Hattiesburg to see a home game, you're going to go see the district. You're going to see the Rock, Southern Miss's M.M. Roberts Stadium. It's part of the great tradition of Southern Miss. And as I said, they also look look also for the ladies at Southern Miss, including the Dixie Darlings. This group actually started in 1952 when a fellow came to Hattiesburg from the University of Topeka as band director and they needed to have some majorettes. So they created this precision dance twirl team, called it the Dixie Darlings. And again, for centuries or yeah more than one century now if you go to a southern miss football game or sporting event you should see the dixie darlings representing the spirit and tradition of southern miss athletics all that at hattiesburg all that is part of the fun of southern miss game days and here at the y'all show we are very proud of all of our 44 colleges that we're taking some time to tell you about the History, tradition, famous alums, and more. And here today, it's been all about Southern Miss to the Top, which is the official fight song of the school, which is what's playing in the background. And with that in mind, 
We're going to go to a break, come right back, fill you in on a few headlines of the day. And before the hour's up, I've got a few festivals across the South that y'all need to know about. All that's ahead on the Y'all Show, Talk With A Southern Accent. And y'all, just like Southern Miss, is going to the top. footnote to our Southern Miss conversation. I forgot to throw in there that Karen Waldrop is a Southern Miss alum, and that's Karen singing right there with that catchy little tune. I got that kind of time. We're back here on the Y'all Show. We got plenty of time for y'all here on the show all about the South. We got to tell you before our time's up, though, for this hour in this Thursday edition about some of the headlines going on across the Southeast. And hey, How about this good news coming from the Internal Revenue Service? There's a chance, there's a chance that this week you might be one of 4 million people going out to your mailbox and getting a refund on unemployment overpayment as the IRS issuing another round of refunds to people who overpaid their 2020 taxes. Some 4 million taxpayers expecting to receive refunds in the coming days. The money comes from a provision of the American Rescue Plan that excluded up to $10,200 in unemployment insurance from taxable income. The plan was passed in March after some people had filed their taxes, and now these refunds come in the difference between what was paid and what was eventually excluded from taxation. The IRS said the average check coming in the mail, and again, there's going to be about 4 million people getting these checks in the mail here this week. Average check totals $1,265, just over $1,200 coming your way if you're one of the 4 million people getting one of these things. Refunds via direct deposit started on Wednesday. Paper checks will be put in the mail on Friday. There you have it. Again, IRS putting out refunds to people who overpaid on their 2020 taxes on unemployment benefits. Some welcome news to some of y'all. How would you like to have an extra 1200 cool, hard cash? Sounds great. How would you like to be fit? We have an article up about the number one towns in America for fitness. And we've got a southern city at number one. According to the 
ACSM American Fitness Index. That's the American College of Sports Medicine and Anthem Foundation. They have ranked the top fitness towns in America. And number one, the number one most fit town in America, according to this index, Arlington, Virginia, is extremely healthy. And just across the Potomac, believe it or not, Washington, D.C. comes in at number six in the country for most fit community in the country. Now, I have a list of the good and I have a list of the bad. There's only one other southern city checking in in the top ten in the entire country for being the most fit community in the country. And I'm, in, I'm rather impressed. Not, not, not a bad statement for Atlanta. Atlanta is number 10 overall in the country for most fit town in America, according to this index, the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, with this fitness index just coming out this week. Now, that's the good. Do y'all really want me to tell you what shows up as some of the worst cities in the land for fitness? I'm going to have to put my spectacles on to be able to zoom in on this one because i got a feeling this is not very good news here. It looks like Jacksonville, you're checking in at number 60. How about Nashville? Nashville's 59. Woo, you're one better than Jacksonville. (laughs) Memphis is the 92nd most fit town in America. How about Dallas? A bunch of towns in Dallas, frankly, coming in. But Fort Worth was 90, Arlington, Texas, 89. Dallas, I don't see Dallas on here. Oh, there we go. Dallas is the 61st most healthy town in America. Houston was 58. I'm looking for some with a triple digit. I guess they didn't go up that high. How about Raleigh? Raleigh is the 30th most fit town in America according to this research. Virginia Beach checks in at number 26. And then a lot of these towns, there's not a single town in Alabama nor Mississippi that shows up, So or Arkansas. You got left out, too. So those must be really, really way on down. New Orleans comes in at number 56, most fit. Baton Rouge was the 81st most fit, according to this survey. So if you're not on here, whether you're in the top 10 or bottom 10, You might want to get out the sneakers and get a few extra miles in today to to where you either show up or you (laughs) figure something else out. The most fit communities. Congratulations again to Arlington in Virginia for being the most fit town in the land. We're fit to be tied. We're fit to get you ready for the final segment. When we come back, we're going to wrap this Thursday. Y'all show up with a look at some of the festivals taking place across Dixie this weekend. Get your traveling shoes on and maybe put in an extra mile or at least get the miles on the car as you go to one of these great festivals. We'll tell you who, where, how, why, all that is up next.
Ah, yeah, it's the Y'all Show final segment of this Thursday Y'all Show, and you might want to get in your big fancy car and go east, west, north, or south. We got a lot of good stuff coming up in terms of festivals across the good old Southland here for this July weekend. We're going to take a moment to spotlight a few here on the Y'all Show in our final segment. Have you ever heard of Epcot? I think you have. And this weekend in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, it's the Taste of Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. That's going on starting this weekend. It actually lasts until November. So even if you can't make it in this weekend, check it out in Epcot, Florida, or Lake Buena Vista to be specific for this event going on this weekend. The Taste of Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. In Augusta, Kentucky this weekend, it's Augusta Riverfest Regatta. Riverside Tractors and Equipment on Main Street is where you need to go. Again, in Augusta, Kentucky for this weekend's Augusta Riverfest Regatta. How about Mount Airy, Maryland this weekend? It's Reggae Wine Music and Arts Festival. That's taking place at the Wine Cellars. And that is on Glisten's Mill Road, the Lingamore Wine Cellars. Reggae Wine Music and Arts Festival, Mount Airy, not the one in North Carolina where Andy Griffith's from. No, this was the one in in Mount Airy, Maryland, going on this weekend. In Odessa, Missouri this weekend, it's the Legacy Roots Fest with Wilder Blue, Zach Aaron, Skylar Pringer. Those are some of the acts participating in Odessa, Missouri at this event on Saturday and Sunday. If you like Roots music, sounds like a fun time to be had in the Show Me State here this weekend. Going on in Beaufort, South Carolina, lovely town in the Low Country. It's the Beaufort Water Festival that's taking place at the Chambers Waterfront Park on Bay Street in Beaufort. That's this weekend. It's really technically just on Saturday in case you make your way into Beaufort County to check out this year's Beaufort Water Festival. How about Comic Palooza? That's in Houston this weekend, the one in Texas, taking place at the George Brown Convention Center. And it's Comic Palooza. Lots of laughs. They better be making you laugh or else it'll be a bust. But that's going on this weekend in the Bayou City of Houston, Texas. Now, in Shreveport this weekend, it's the Pokemon Go Fest Specials and Pub Crawl. That's in downtown Shreveport on Texas Street on Saturday. That's a term we haven't heard from much lately, Pokemon Go. But this weekend in Shreveport, Pokemon Galore with this event. In the capital of Alabama this weekend, it's Sip, Paint, and Vibe at Riverfront Park in Montgomery. That's taking place Saturday if you want to make your way to the home of the biscuits, Montgomery, Alabama. Going on this weekend in Columbus, Georgia, it's the Parking Lot Praise Christian Music Festival, and that's at the Peachtree Mall in Columbus, taking place Saturday afternoon and evening. Good praise music on display there and Columbus, GA, for the Parking Lot Praise Christian Music Festival. In Choctaw, Mississippi, this week, it's the Choctaw Indian Fair. This is put on by the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians in Philadelphia, technically Choctaw, Mississippi. And that kind of leads into the Neshoba County Fair, which is also underway this weekend. But it's the Choctaw Indian Fair in the Philadelphia and Neshoba County area of Mississippi that's 
this weekend. In North Carolina this weekend in Sugar Mountain at Sugar Mountain Resort, it's the Avery Fine Art and Master Crafts Festival that takes place Friday through Sunday. If you want to get to Sugar, hey Sugar, why don't you get to Sugar Mountain and check out this event. In Franklin, Tennessee, it's the Main Street Festival. That's a big event in downtown Franklin in Williamson County. And Main Street is on Saturday and Sunday if you want to make your way to beautiful Franklin, Tennessee for that fun event. In Moorfield, West Virginia this weekend, it's the annual poultry convention and festival. Get your chicken on there at the Hardy County Convention and Visitors Bureau. In nearby Virginia going on this weekend, how about this name for an event? It is the Hungry Mother Festival, and that's taking place at the Hungry Mother State Park in Marion, Virginia. That's actually the name of a creek, and it has a really unusual and pretty cool story. Go check it out this weekend in Marion, Virginia. It's the 48th Hungry Mother Festival, and that's one of the fun things going on in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You can go there and learn a lot about the history of this southwest Virginia area and the food and culture and fun, all that taking place this weekend in Virginia. In Norman, Oklahoma, the home of the Sooners this weekend, it becomes the home of the Summer Sour and Funk Festival, and that's at 405 Brewing on Topeka Drive. It's Saturday. It's the Summer Sour and Funk Festival in Norman, Oklahoma. I wonder if Spencer Rattler is going to be repping it out since the college football players can now go out and make a little extra money promoting things. Don't know. In North Little Rock, not Little Rock, but just north of there, in NLR, this weekend it's the event taking place at North Shore Riverwalk Park. It's the Summer Family Festival in NLR, North Little Rock, Arkansas. And those are a whole bunch of events going on across 16 southern states here this weekend. We hope you can take a little time and get out and see some of these fun places and enjoy what the South has to offer. We thank you so much for being a part of this show because we feel like here on the show that's all about the South, we offer you each and every day all kinds of great, helpful information. And sometimes that includes telling you all about events and fun and festivals and more. And here across the South on this forthcoming weekend, we have all kinds of sipping and wine and Christian music being played and more. Get out there. Enjoy. We'll be off until Friday. Make sure you tune us back in for more Talk About the South. I'm John Rawls signing off.